Welcome back to DevCast, uh, as usual, with me, Dark Hörnig, and with the Danish guide uh, now, and we talk about algorithmics and algorithms and so on. Not algorithm. What algorithm? What's called the what's the the English uh, pop group? Eurythmics. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Rasmus Amosan, I have yeah, on hi, the hi, hi, hi. And I found you on, on uh, Pluralsight, and I really like uh, seeing courses and discover new subjects on, on Pluralsight. It's really great. And I discovered yeah, you uh, a month ago, I think. Okay. And you had the topic was that was a bit standing out. It was not the topic about C sharp or not the topic about Node.js or the mean stack or something. It mm. was about algorithmics. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought about uh, a lot about. Uh, I, I have wanted to do a pluralsight course for some time, and I, yeah, I thought uh, quite a bit of what should it be. And 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 one of my passions is algorithmics, and we can talk more talk more about uh, what, what that is. Uh, but but. But it has struck me that uh, often when you talk about algorithmics, there is a tendency to consider it or perceive it as a kind of uh, academic discipline, mm-hmm. and and that uh, I, I would li- really like to try to to introduce a more practical uh, way of considering algorithmics because it's it's very useful even for the everyday programmer. Um, so so that was my main objective with the course. Yeah, and, and I have a, a picture in front of me when I heard uh, hear the word algorithmics, and I see uh, the book of what's the name of the guy called Knut? Yeah, Knut. Yeah. Donald Donald Knut. Yeah, the legendary Goth. Yeah. Of... <laughs> yeah, and it was too hard for me and too thick. Yeah, of course. Yeah, there is a ton of math in his uh, amazing work, by the way. And uh, but but that was not or the math math part was not uh, what I wanted to to. Uh, to focus on. It was to try to understand the main point of how to do stuff efficiently and how to store data efficiently and yeah, how to uh, measure and predict performance uh, yeah, in a in robust way so that we are not depending on execution environment and, and so on. So it was yeah, an attempt to introduce the more intuitive and, and general strategies rather than going specific to specific points or specific topics. Or, yeah. uh, but before we dive into that, who are you, Rasmus? Yeah, who am I? Hmm. Great question. So, well, I'm a, a PhD in computer science, and um, and then I have done some work in, in different disciplines. Uh, after the PhD, uh, uh, and during the PhD, I focused on algorithmics and uh, databases and uh, yeah, handling data efficiently in databases and uh, data mining. And then... Then uh, I made a spin-off uh, from this uh, PhD where one of my uh, research projects was about vertical partitioning in databases, which is, uh, roughly speaking, about slicing database tables vertically in order to get rid of uh, dead weight, uh, data that you're not using that often. Uh, so, but many times that is uh, done on a more or less guess basis, but I wanted to do it on base of knowledge and uh, yeah, mathematical models. And yeah, then I've had different developer uh, positions and uh, currently I'm sitting as an architect at a company called NNIT. So, uh, so yeah, I've been around. Great. How old are you, if uh, I may ask? <laughs> I'm 38. Oh, for, 38. For a moment, yeah. oh you're, you're very young. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I'm 10 years older than you. So. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Still young. Yeah, okay. I hope so. I hope <laughs> so. So, 
algorithmics. Uh, you you talked first about measuring, and I think thought that was rather interesting. How do we measure that we have an efficient algorithm? And yeah. you talk about, of course, when I think about measuring, I think about the stopwatch. <laughs> yeah. but actually, the stopwatch is, there's nothing wrong with the, the stopwatch. The thing is that that when you're using the stopwatch, you're getting a measurement of a specific execution uh, for a specific input. Uh, so, but but then we could ask some questions. What what if the execution environment changes, and and what will the execution time be if I provide this algorithm or this program with another input? Um, and there's another uh, uh, requirement. Uh, there's another thing with with this stopwatch method that is uh, that in order to use the stopwatch method, the method that that is that uh, the subject or the program has to be implemented. So you can't really, uh, if you have an idea on, on paper or in your head, you can't really uh, say how long time will it take. And it's, uh, there's really no way of comparing it to another strategy, an alternative strategy, um, just by measuring with the stopwatch. And the, so, the other measurement that you are talking about is counting the number of instructions. Yes, then we could do something like counting the number of instructions in that program that we are in tending to, to implement or have implemented. So, so this is the main idea, the main concept. So if we have a complete uh, expression for the number of instructions, then we can, if we say that each it takes a given time to execute a given instruction, then we can just summarize the number of instructions and, and multiply with this um, per instruction time usage. And then we'll have an estimate for the total execution. Um, so, so the basic idea is to uh, come up with an, an expression that uh, as input takes uh, how many elements are we going to, uh, uh, to, uh, to operate on and, and then have an expression saying how, how many uh, instructions are we going to execute in order to solve our problem or to, to finish. Um, so. You said in your in your course that it was no um, difference uh, uh, between the different uh, programming languages, but is it so? Because uh, for each loop in in C is rather different implemented yes. in instruction than in C sharp. Yes, of course. Um, so there's this thing about constants that uh, you may have heard of. Uh, so so the the an, an observation is that if we are going to time this. Uh, use it to, to see how, how long time a given uh, program takes to execute then depending on the execution environment the the hardware and so on we might scale it up or down with a, a constant factor uh, so in, in if we execute it in, in a, another uh, environment then we'll scale it with a, another constant factor um, so so if we are going to see how is the curve actually behaving what's the shape of the curve that will not change if we are scaling with different constant factors. So the main idea in, in complexity analysis is to start with counting the number of instructions and then we, you will something uh, maybe have something with if I have uh, n elements, the letter n elements uh, to, to, to cover or, or to operate on, then I will maybe use a 24 times uh, n instructions. Um, but if I execute that on another environment, then this 24 will change to another number. So the main idea is to skip the 24 because the, the interesting thing here is the letter N. Because N, if you look at the curve just for N, it's different from, for example, 
n squared, that is n times n, which again is different from say the logarithm, which is a mathematical operation of n and so on. So if you're looking at the shape of the curves, these will not, yes, they will be squeezed up and down uh, for different constant factors, but how they are overhauling each other and how, how much they are growing will, will not uh, change significantly when you are uh, scaling with constant factors. And, and that is the main idea here. So if we can skip the constant factors, then a lot of things will get much easier to, to uh, calculate on and, and compare. So, 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 so could you yeah. be, give a more concrete example of, uh, of this? Um, so, so, of course, constant factors does matter. Uh, of course, if, if you have uh, an implementation of something that uh, um, uses uh, 1,000 instructions, then it, of course, takes longer time than... Uh, another thing that uh, uses um, 500 instructions. That, that's, of course, the thing. But if I have something that uses n square instructions, then no matter if it takes 24 times n square instructions or 1,000 times n square instructions, then that execution time will sooner or later uh, be much, much larger than an execution time that is whatever constant times uh, n, for example. And this is easiest to, to understand if you have, for example, a list of, uh, of persons and you should do something with every person and how do you measure uh, what every person, how many instructions every person takes and what happens if we have 10 person and 100,000 person, is it the yes. n square uh, measurement or is it a, uh, can you explain that? Oh yeah, okay, so, so if we are, for example, um, building a, uh, yeah, if we are, we have a typical pattern is that we are having an outer loop uh, traversing a, a, a number of elements. And, and then we are in, inside this outer loop building a collection. Um, and then we are adding these elements to that collection, depending on what we want. If we want all these elements in that collection to be unique, then we have to ask that collection each time we are uh, adding the, a new element, does this element exist in this collection already? Okay, so depending on how this collection works, um, then this uh, query for the in the collection can be more or less efficiently. Uh, for example, if we are using a list data type, which is basically an array, then we have to see for each of the elements that already is in the array. Uh, so we if, think it, it will if, take more time for it. Yeah, if you if have it, more will, will we need to scan each and every position to see if this uh, element that we now have in our hand already is there. If we are using another data structure, for example, uh, something called a hash table or hashtag in, in C sharp, then we can actually look it up directly. So, so if we have to, for each time we are uh, treating an element, have to scan all the elements that are already there, then it will add up quite drastically in time and it will not uh, perform. Uh, we're talking about measurement and of course, uh, one of the, the, the most important things that we have as a developer is doing a, a, a performance-wise good uh, uh, execution of, of our program that they, they should be fast. Mm. Is this uh, measurement and talking about this on this level important in the overall performance. I mean, IO is much, takes much more 
time, longer time than uh, going through a list. Yeah, that, that's of course, but that depends on what operation that you need to solve. There is a whole field about uh, I.O. Uh, complexity analysis um, or field of field. Um, so so there are different ways of counting. You, 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 can, you can measure the performance of an algorithm by counting the number of I.O.s. So instead of getting an expression that says how many instructions do I need to, uh, to execute in order to finish this program, then the, you can have another instruction saying how many IOs do I need. That's that's another measurement, and they are both uh, equally valid. But there are uh, numerous examples on, on algorithms or, or operations that are not IO dependent. If they are entirely in RAM, then you are not dependent on IO, for example. Um, so your measurement and what we talk about here in the podcast is about uh, uh, things that are happening in your process, in your memory. So yes, so. definitely. Uh, you can translate the same ideas to the I/O model, too. Um, but the main idea is to see, okay, so I will get an expression for uh, how many instructions I need to execute this program. This expression can, uh, represents a curve, and and by looking at these curves, I can, curves, then I can can compare different ways of uh, of implementing a, a given uh, a task. And it's really the idea of looking at the shape of the curves and see when do they cross and, and how fast do they grow, compare them to each other. And if we have two expressions that share the same characteristic, the, the same shape um, of the curve, then of course the constants do really matter. Um, and and, and um, yeah, maybe that's the, the main point here that, uh, that, that if the curves are are the same shape, then then uh, there should of course be a great focus on constants. But if you have a curve that that clearly grows to infinity and beyond very quickly, then th all this constant uh, juggling um, is irrelevant because uh, the the general idea of the algorithm, the general idea of the implementation is is uh, is never going to perform, no matter how how many micro uh, optimizations yet that you are doing. You did a really a good example of this that I wasn't aware about, and what's the Fibracci algorithm? It was very, you, you just changed the number from 8 to 80, and it was uh, running very slow. Oh, yes. Uh, yes, uh, so I don't know if, yeah, if everybody knows what the Fibonacci numbers is. Uh, the, the Fibonacci numbers is a sequence of, of numbers where the, the next number is given by the sum of the the previous two numbers. It's and also it sounds so easy. <laughs> it sounds so easy, and you can easily do it recursively. So, so uh, in each recursion, you are saying this number is. Uh, I have to result uh, return the result of my function uh, of the input input minus one plus the function of the input minus two. So, so this basically. But the thing is that that if you go up and and uh, and execute it for higher numbers, then the same function will be executed again and again and again and the uh, the number of course would explode exponentially so you will never finish so it's it's so uh, interesting uh, to see that if you are implementing this method as a recursive method um, naively um, and executed ex executing it with yeah say 10 or 8 then you will have a result immediately by the snap of a finger but if you go up 50 or, or 80 then you will never return Oh, of course you will return, but it will take years. <laughs> mm. 
So uh, one chapter in your uh, in your course is about data structures, and of course we we use data structures each day. And sometimes it's very easy to choose the right data structure, and sometimes it's it's rather hard yeah. to do that. Uh, should we talk a bit about data structure and uh, uh, regarding performance yeah. and other things? Clearly, mm-hmm. because yeah, my main point in the course was to to make it uh, clear that. In in the real world, nobody would question that that there are, there are different purposes of different tools. So, so a hammer, for example, is, is a great tool uh, for hammering a nail into a wall or, or maybe tearing a wall down, for example. Uh, a knife is also a great tool for for slicing a tomato, uh, but a, a knife is not particularly good at uh, hammering, or, and and a hammer is not particularly good at slicing tomatoes. So, in the real world, nobody would question that. That there is a really there's something you would never use a, a certain tool for, and there's something that a certain tool is uh, like built for, and it's the same thing with data structures, yeah, and algorithm for that matter. Um, so my main point was uh, in the course to to illustrate that uh, different data structures has some 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 uh, weaknesses and uh, some strong points that uh, where they should be used. So I in the course I have an example where I have a system that I call an investment analyzer. And and in the in the first iteration, I just use a list all over the place because it's just right at hand and it actually have many of the, the methods that uh, that we need. The thing is that uh, the way we need these methods is uh, is not particularly uh, efficiently implemented as in, in the list uh, data type. So in the course, I, I present a given data structure and then we try to yeah, change just a data type in the uh, in the this example system to to see what happens with performance. I and I think we go from yeah we increase the performance with a factor of more than two hundred if I do not remember wrongly. So so choosing the right data structure has can have a, a significant uh, influence on performance. Yeah. And, and one uh, one data structure that you talked about that I'm not so familiar with is the priority queue. Yes. I under, of course, I, we understand that the normal uh, the dynamic arrays, usual arrays, yeah. hash tables and linked list. I, I understand that. But priority queue. Yeah, priority queue. So so sometimes we, we need to, uh, we, are, we are receiving uh, a bunch of, of stuff. But we will need to retrieve them in order. So um, instead of having to, for example, put them into a list and then sort the list uh, and then get the minimum element or, or, retru- or traverse all elements in the list and then find the minimum element, then this priority queue will uh, internally organize um, the the elements uh, so that we can retrieve them in uh, in correct order either by continuously getting the minimum element that is still in the list or in the priority queue or, or the maximum element. So, so a priority queue is a, a collection that, that, that you are putting elements in arbitrary order into it, and then we are retrieving the minimum or the maximum element uh, very efficiently. So, uh, and that comes in handy. Yeah. So, so how how do you have any good um, recommendation how I should choose uh, a data structure? How how do I, how do should yeah, I just yeah. test or should yeah, I so count the, the instructions? Thing, or? Yeah. No. The thing is that that I think uh, where you need to know what you you uh, you are actually trying to solve. Um, 
so and what the benefits uh, and the weaknesses is of each data structure. So in order to know which tool to use in the we need, we need to know how a hammer functions and how a saw functions. So we need to know what is it actually meant to do. And there's actually no other way than, I think, to, to try to understand just on an intuitive level, how does it work internally? Um, what is it good at? And I try to uh, describe that in the course. Um, so, but yeah, so so the list data type we know that we can, we can access a given index very efficiently, um, in order to uh, um, yeah, um, to, in order to find a given element in a list that's not efficiently. That is depending on what kind of element we want to find that can be very efficient in the priority queue if we want to find the minimum or the maximum element or in, in a hash table if we have a value and we would like to see if this value is already present or not then, yeah then we can look it up very efficiently in a hash table uh, because of the way hash tables work we can talk about that if you want um yeah so but but i think that Instead of remembering blindly, oh, when this situation comes, I will need to use this uh, data structure. I think it's a better idea to try to roughly and on an intuitive basis uh, use some time to try to understand what what uh, how do they actually work. Mm. Yeah, I think. And I and I, I of course I, I it was very good to see that because I, I sometimes I forget how they work. I just uh, take one, uh, in, in my case, I take off in a dictionary because I need a key and I need uh, some kind of object. Yeah, <laughs> Something like yeah. that. And that's a hash table. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So, so it was really good to see the hash table and see or what happened when you, you fill it up with uh, too much uh, information and you to rehash and so on. Yeah, so so uh, that, that's a, a common thing for for many dynamically uh, sized data structures. That occasionally there is some housekeeping. So there is one performance characteristics of uh, most of the operations, and then when you are having added uh, sufficiently many uh, elements, then we need some housekeeping, and that takes some extra time. Uh, but in the long run, if you're summing up what is what are we uh, spending on housekeeping in the in the total picture then it will be insignificant uh, so that does yeah so that's a main idea when uh, defining a, or constructing a new data structure that it is okay to have occasional housekeeping but the housekeeping should not in the total run uh, contribute to a significant uh, part of the execution time it should be insignificant in the total run so it's like garbage collection in C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like garbage collection. We don't want the garbage collection to to steal the picture. Mm. Clearly, yeah. Uh, uh, regarding hash tables, you were talking about MD5 as the hashing algorithm and so on. And I, I remember that we have some security issues with the MD5. Can you has yeah. that something to do with this? Yeah, actually, actually, security is not my strong side. But uh, yeah, so so when we are hashing. Um, so I don't know if if everybody is clear on what hashing is. For me, it was a, a buzzword that I used uh, for quite some time back in the, my early days in university. And it took some time. So oh, is is it just that? So uh, basically, a hash function is just a function that maps from an uh, in principle arbitrary large data domain to a fixed length data domain. It it can be a, a, a simple map of all people in the world. Uh, 
uh, to their uh, height or, or birthday. So, um, and, and if we do that, clearly some of the some of the people, uh, if we are talking this concrete example by mapping people to, for example, their birthday, then we will have multiple people having the same perf- birthday. And and uh, of course, if we are uh, considering mapping all the strings in the world, all the files in the world, which are numerous in in, in size, uh, it's down to and for example an MD5 sum, which is 128 bit, then we will have multiple files that are in the same uh, hash value that they are mapped to the same value. So, so if the input value is the same, the output value, the hash will be the same. Yeah, but also if two input values are different, we might end up with mapping them to the same uh, target value because the target space is smaller. So there's simply not a room room enough for all the input values to fit in the target. But that's okay. For example, if we are just in the in this this people example, if we are just choosing two people arbitrarily, then the chance of them having the same birthday is, is very small, and then that may be okay. But the more people we add, then the, the chance is higher to have a collision in this target space. So this is very the, the need for a target space to be sufficiently large. So if we are having, so there are some different criteria uh, when, when uh, regarding uh, cryptographic hashing. There's, for example, a, a risk requirement could be that it is pre-image resistant. So if I am provided with a hash value, it should be hard to find the uh, original exact key. And we use hash values, for example, to yeah to uh, to obfuscate passwords. Instead of storing the raw passwords, we are storing the uh, the hash value. So it should be difficult for me. So if I am hacking into your system and, and getting the hashed value of the, the passwords, then I should not be able to guess the original password. And also, it should also be, high, uh, be, be hard to find another uh, another input value that could give the same hash value. Because if we are in our system just comparing the, the hash uh, value of this a password that is provided, and if this value is uh, identical with that value that we have stored, then then it doesn't matter if the original input value is something different as long as the uh, target, um, the, the mapped hash, hash value is the same. So, yeah. Okay, and what was what's the problem with MD5? Yeah, I, I, the, yeah as mentioned, I'm not, I'm not an expert in uh. security, so, so uh, yeah, I don't know that. Okay, was it something that uh, it was easy to, in some way, um, predict the hash value or something like that. Yeah, maybe it was something. It, it oh. might have been something with the, this collision. Is normally something with collisions. Mm. Normally, you would like to have that. So it, it's it's fun to say. That of course, there are collisions in the target space. Um, but but if I pick a, an arbitrary subset then uh, of the input values, then I would like them probably to be evenly distributed in the target even uh, independently of which input values that I choose. So if I am, if there's a high probability that if I choose a certain uh, characteristics of input in the, in, the, in the source space, in the original inputs, then there's a high probability of collision. That would pretty, uh, clearly be a, a problem. Yeah. So um, 
when I when I do a dictionary uh, then a dictionary object in in C sharp, uh, how do I know what kind of hash algorithm is used underneath? Yeah. Um, well, you you're looking at the implementation of the uh, yeah okay. in, in the program. You you, uh, you well. So we we don't have that uh, some some uh, description of that or uh, I don't know if it's no. actually described. I, I, mm. I, I googled it once and I I found a, a description, but I don't know if it's uh, described. But normally, uh, in in everyday programming, it's I think it's very rarely that we have to adjust the hash function because. Uh, it's in my experience that most of the time in everyday programming tasks, the, the built-in hash function is sufficiently good at distributing values evenly in the target space and so on. Um, so, so normally I'm, I have not experienced that it's uh, necessary to, to, yeah, to find another hash function. Yeah. Now we have talked about uh, data structure and we need to go further. And uh, you were talking about two things uh, more. You're talking about more about algorithm, algorithm, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. And uh, complexity analysis, analysis. Yeah. Uh, I'm a bit tired today, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, could we talk a bit about them and then we need to wrap up, I think. Yeah. yeah. So the complexity analysis was that what we, we we started with, which was the idea of measuring performance without measuring the stock was trying to predict the performance of something that I have on paper, uh, an idea. So if with a little bit of rehearsal and um, a little bit of explanation, I really try to uh, to uh, to explain it in the course. The main idea of this complexity analysis. Then we can just by seeing on a, an idea on paper, then we can have a pretty good idea if it, this will uh, perform well, if it will scale well when we get uh, many elements or many uh, data entities to, to operate on, or if it will uh, perform badly. So that is the complexity analysis. And com the complexity analysis is something we use on the well algorithms that an algorithm is basically just a recipe that tells how to, how to, to do stuff. But this was really great that you you took a really good examples because, uh, for example, uh, to find the fastest route between two uh, places on the map and so on. So it's a really uh, good uh, and uh, real world examples. It's really yeah, good. but but the yeah the way to find a yeah yeah and a good route between two places in in the real world that. It depends on so many factors uh, and how large the, the road network or, or the graph, which is a corresponding data structure, is. So there are numerous algorithms that does that. It, For example, can they handle if a length of a road is not a, a positive number? Maybe it's, it's negative. If you are not considering uh, distance, but how much does it cost me uh, or how, how beautiful is a route? Uh, then I could say that this route is something I would really like to uh, avoid, and that is an, a negative number. And uh, maybe I will get paid for taking a specific route, and then uh, yeah, I will get yeah. So so depending on what we are measuring, there are, you can have positive and negative numbers on these uh, roads, uh, and depending on how that is, uh, you should choose different ways of doing that. But yeah. Uh, just one thing about uh, algorithms. You, you talk about greedy algorithms. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what's that? Yeah, the greedy algorithms is. I, I would say that is the uh, immediate algorithms, uh, and a greedy algorithms takes whatever is best uh, at the moment 
and then we go that way. Uh, for example, I could see regarding routing, if I need to go from uh, Copenhagen to uh, Stockholm, for example, um, and I will need to take the shortest route there. Okay, so if I'm in Copenhagen and at a specific uh, house, what is the shortest road from here? And then I would just choose that, uh, disregarding that it might uh, go in the opposite direction. And of course, doing that will not necessarily lead me to the, to the, to the optimal solution. But in some cases, uh, a greedy algorithm will uh, find an, uh, an optimal solution. And, and many times, an greedy algorithm is, is very easy to, uh, yeah, to, to invent. So if I need to solve a problem, uh, so of course, it's, uh, it can be easier to understand that I will just take whatever is best at the moment, and then I make another iteration, and then I choose whatever is best there, and then I make another iteration and choose whatever is best there. I will not necessarily end up with the best solution, but it's a way to do uh, to at least go somewhere. Yeah. So, so the greedy algorithm is it's a greedy approach. I, I uh, yeah, that that takes whatever is best. I'll take that. <laughs> how, how is it with, uh, when we talk about now we're talking about how do you do your best coding and so on and when we talk about that we also often talk about patterns different oh, kinds yeah. of patterns how do this relate to that yeah you yeah we we, chat, we had a little uh, chat and an email about what to talk about here and you you wrote about that and i thought about it so i see more patterns like a, a structural thing or a you can have structural patterns that say how to organize things and, and then how to, uh, yeah, we have the visitor pattern and the double dispatch and, and so on. Um, but I see algorithms as, a, well, it's a recipe that takes some input and delivers some output. And I don't know if, if all patterns, uh, software design patterns, uh, fit in that category, is that they all operate on input and deliver some output and... Yeah, I'm, I think they are not necessarily related, but some some patterns will traverse a data structure. And of course, you can use a pattern to implement an algorithm. Yeah, of course. And then when when you are implementing an algorithm, then of course you will have to to think about what are we actually, how are we actually going to access the different data elements, and 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 based on that, we will choose the different data structures. Yeah. And I must say, it was really, uh, in your course at Blu-ray site, it was really good that you have a coding example for every example, every <laughs> pattern, oh, not pattern, every algorithm. It's really, really nice. And in, in uh, my finger starting itching, it really... Oh, it great. <laughs> I really wanted to get away from this consideration that, that uh, algorithms and data structures are mostly useful for academic and research. It is so useful in everyday programming and I hope to have, have shown a bunch of examples uh, of that in the course. I really think that you have done. So thank you very much, Ras Ray Rasmus. Rasmus, Ras yeah. Thank uh, you for having me. And um, if you have an account on Pluralsight, I really recommend that you search for, for Rasmus on that and see his his uh, course on algorithmics. Introduction so, to algorithmics. Uh, yeah. Thank yeah. you very much, Rasmus. See you. See you. Great. Great. It was great.